What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. On today's show, AB 2632 would end the use of solitary confinement for specific populations, including those with disabilities, pregnant women, and other vulnerable populations. To discuss, we are joined this morning by Graham Finocio, who facilitates healing circles with Initiate Justice. He spent approximately eight years in solitary confinement. We're also joined by Eric Harris, Director of Public Policy of Disability Rights of California. DRC Disability Rights California and the other co-sponsors of the bill view solitary confinement as torture, straight up. If it is torture, then what we say is California shouldn't be about torture, and we should try to limit the amount of time that we place anybody in a circumstance that that would be torture. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. In 2011, the United Nations called on all countries to ban the use of solitary confinement, except, quote, in very exceptional circumstances and for as short a time as possible, with an absolute prohibition in the case of juveniles and people with mental disabilities, end quote. Yet the practice continues in jails and prisons across the country, certainly right here in California, uh, is being utilized as, as punitive as a punitive measure. Uh, to quarantine people. Uh, we saw uh, an uptick of this with folks that were infected with COVID, and we know this is happening again with monkeypox or MPV. Um, folks are also put in the shoe as a mental health crisis response. Uh, AB 2632 would end the use of solitary confinement for specific populations, including those with disabilities, pregnant women, and other vulnerable populations. To discuss, we are joined this morning by Eric Harris, Director of Public Policy of Disability Rights of California, one of the organizations that is sponsoring AB 2632. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. It's great to be here. Glad to have you. We're also joined by Graham Finocio, who facilitates healing circles with Initiate Justice. He spent approximately eight years in solitary confinement, uh, either administrative segregation or security housing unit or SHU uh, holds during his time locked up, where he was bounced around between 14 institutions in California. He was diagnosed with PTSD from his experience in ADSEG and the SHU. Good morning, uh, Graham. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you. so. I'm really happy to have you. Eric, I want to start with you. If you could just paint a picture for my listeners about how widespread the use of solitary confinement is in California jails and prisons. Absolutely. Um, and one of the interesting things about that question is the honest answer. If we're if, you know, those who've done this research, those who've done this work would say we don't really know. And that's sad because um, we know that it happens. And we know that it's being used for um, the wrong reasons. Um, but we don't have the data, the statistics, the reporting needed to know for sure how many people are in solitary in every facility, how long they're being kept in solitary, um, and the conditions that they're being held in. The only um, pieces of information that we're able to obtain with any type of credibility is the stories of individuals who've actually been in solitary confinement and can speak to the experiences that they've had. So one of the really important pieces of this bill is the reporting element where we're requiring uh, these facilities to report out how often they use solitary confinement, how many people are in there, how long they're in there, and other information like that, which will be helpful 
for all of us, advocates and otherwise policymakers, to know exactly how solitary confinement is being used in the state of California. I'm glad that that you sort of segued for me to the next question, which is about the stories and some of the impacts in terms of mental and physical health uh, on on folks inside who are subjected to this form of torture. Graham, I'm wondering if you can uh, illustrate this to us by talking about your own experience. Absolutely. And I think um, I can start with touching on something that Eric said that's super relevant. So like one, like I said, uh, like you said in the introduction, uh, I was inside the SHU or administrative segregated housing for eight years of my 15 year term, uh, five years consecutively uh, in the SHU. And uh, most of it was undisciplinary. It was investigation periods. There was several in, like several instances where I was lost in their system of tracking for four months. Like I'd be waiting to go to what they call committee. It's ICC committee. Uh, and you go, you're supposed to go every 60 to 90 days. You don't know anything until a couple days before the counselor will walk to your door and tell you. And a 90-day period would go by. The counselor would walk past down the tier, walk past your door, walk past my door on several instances. And I would stop them and say, hey, am I supposed to go to committee today? And they go, oh, no, let me check. 30 days later, they'd call me into committee because they'd forgotten. Um, and, I mean, what that does to the to the spirit, to the soul, to the psyche, like, uh, it's it's unimaginable. It's incalculable the damage that that caused. There was severe anxiety as a result of that PTSD. Um, so during that time, uh, they also stripped you of everything. And the process of ADSEG is essentially a stripping process. They take you down to your boxers to go to yard. You walk, you go to the, you know, you go to a yard that's essentially a dog kennel and going through that process for eight years. Um, you come out of that marked, marked, uh, you're marked, you're different, you know, you feel different. And I've been home for three years now and there's still instances where I'm not comfortable in social situations because of that. So I think it's really important, as Eric said, the, 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 the record keeping element, because they essentially lose people on purpose. There's such a flux of transfers and bed moves every single day that they have the ability to shuffle people like a shell game and disappear them for months at a time. Uh, so keeping a time frame, 15 consecutive days or 20 days total, in a 60-day period is super important, as well as the record-keeping element. Graham, you said five years consecutively. Yes. How did you hold on? Like, how, like, like legit, like, what was your daily practice that I, uh, enabled you to, this, to be talking to me today? That's a really good question. Um, and the only answer that I could come up with for that is that I maintained a really disciplined schedule. I would wake up at like 4.30 in the morning. I would work out, bird bath, wait for the breakfast tray. I, I like established a regimented schedule of where I was always doing something. So my mind stayed occupied. But in retrospect, like I can review. And there was plenty of time spent pacing that cell and plenty of time spent looking at like, because you also don't have clocks. People I don't know if people can like uh, imagine what it would be like to never know what time it is. But for that time, essentially, you're dependent on a cop that's willing to give you the time. Most aren't. They'll tell you, oh, it's almost noon or whatever. You don't have like a specific gauge of time. So plenty of time waited staring out the little slat windows and waiting for someone to tell you what time it is or to find out something that's going on. Uh, so you, you lose yourself during that five years. Uh, and and uh, I, I maintained a grasp. 
some people do not. And that's, that's the part that makes this bill super important is that the people that do not specifically people who have disabilities going into it, uh, youth, elderly folk, uh, pregnant women, like they, they need to be prohibited from this process. They need to not be able to be in these places. So yeah. Thank you for that question. Graham, I'm so sorry that that, uh, that not only that, that was your experience, but that there's so many of our brothers and sisters for whom that's the reality right now, right, as we're doing this radio show. Um, Eric, we uh, both you and Graham have touched on pieces of the bill in your responses to my other questions. But if you could just spend a minute just breaking down the different elements of the bill. Absolutely. Um, so the, the bill does a few different things. First, um, it clearly defines what segregated confinement or solitary confinement is, because right now, in California law, there isn't really a um, specific example um, uh, definition in law. Um, I think that a lot of us get used to what we see in movies or what we see in, on TV um, as like, you know, uh, the single cell with one person in it, you know, dark, and that's kind of what, what our image is. And of course, that is part of it, but it's really about the lack of regular programming and regular contact with any other people. Um, so it can be either one person or two, um, but it's the fact that you're not able to um, leave your cell um, regularly for more than an hour um, and other things like that. So that's the first thing that we felt was really important is that we have a clear definition in California of what exactly solitary confinement is. The next thing that we do is we put a limit on the amount of days that any individual person can be in solitary confinement. DRC, Disability Rights California, and the other co-sponsors of the bill view solitary confinement as torture, straight up. So if, if it is torture, then what we say is California shouldn't be about torture. Um, and we should try to limit the amount of time that we place anybody in a circumstance that, that would be torture. So 15 days straight is the limit that we put in. And then as Graham mentioned, 20 days in a 60 day period so that people can get back to regular programming, even while they're incarcerated. The other two things that the bill does, it would eliminate solitary confinement completely for young people under the age of 25, um, older people over the age of 59, so 60 and over, and then it would eliminate it for anybody with a disability. So that includes not just physical disabilities, but also mental health disabilities, intellectual and developmental disabilities, sensory disabilities, like if you're blind or if you are deaf, and then also certain types of learning disabilities. So all types of disabilities would be included. Pregnant people, so anybody who is pregnant would not be allowed to be in solitary confinement. We feel like that is a very reasonable request. So those are the, the special categories that we feel should be eliminated completely, and that is in the bill, eliminated completely from solitary confinement. Um, and then finally, the reporting piece. We, I mentioned it earlier but that's a really important piece because most people don't even know how often solitary is used. When we've heard stories like Graham's and others where people are in solitary confinement for years, not like 
you're in there for for a week, not you're in there for for a couple weeks. I know we've seen movies like Life and others where they kind of tongue in cheek joke about going into the going into solitary confinement for a few days or for a week. No, people are in solitary confinement for years, and we don't know about this, and we need to be made. Uh, we need to be given reporting. We need to be given documents to show reasons why somebody's in solitary, how long they're there, all that kind of information we feel is really important. So that's that's the kind of gist of what this bill is attempting to, to accomplish. Thank you for that, Eric. And I just, before my next question, I just want to state unequivocally, like we're, we're talking about solitary uh, right now. But unequivocally, the way that we do jails and prisons in this country, solitary confinement or not, is torture, inhumane. Absolutely. Um, you know, so I just I, I want to just make that clear. It's like there's no such thing as a better version of the jails and prisons, the way that we do them in this country. Um, Graham, I want to go to you. I only have a couple of minutes left, unfortunately. Um, but but this reporting piece, right, has come up both in your answers uh, and and Eric's answers. But that reporting would require the guards <laughs> inside of the jails and prisons to do the reporting, right? Like, there's no actual way to hold them accountable for that. And do you have any realistic or real faith um, that they're going to abide uh, by new regulations? I mean, our next segment, we're going to talk about how prison unions across the country are pushing back on reforms to solitary confinement. I absolutely, uh, I agree with you. That is a, a valid concern. I don't have any faith <clears throat> in any any element of CDCR being able to keep accurate or honest record keeping. That said, like having a component in the law that says that they have to keep record keeping is a start. And I think like the next step logistically would be to have an intermediary component that is not attached to CDCR that keeps the, that like monitors and evaluates the record keeping, right? Um, because they, they flub their paperwork all the time. I fully agree with you that the only, uh, improvement on prisons would be no prisons, a complete revision of the, of the system as it is. Uh, so uh, I think that that's a valid concern, but the first step would absolutely be getting a component in the law that says that they have to keep record keeping because they don't, if you were to track my movement throughout my 15 years incarcerated, uh, on this, on my, on my term. Uh, then you would see that I was in different prisons, but during those, it doesn't say anything in the record keeping their Psalms component, their tracking measures doesn't say that I was in ADSEG, but for many, many years, I was in ADSEG for those periods or in the shoe. Uh, so they don't, they don't really, they keep records that benefit them. Their system is entirely designed to benefit them at the expense of the people that are living within that system. So yeah, I agree with you on that. Thanks for that. And then, uh, Eric, very quickly, because uh, we are out of time, where where is the bill in terms of its process? What is the community call to action? Where can folks go if they want to uh, support? Like, you got 30 seconds, bro. <laughs> Absolutely. So AB 2632 is going to be heard in the next week or so, week to two weeks at most, um, in the state Senate here in California. So please, Call your state senator, tell them how important this bill is to you and your community, and then it's on to the governor. 
All right. I want to thank you both so, so much for joining me today. We will be tracking uh, the progress of this bill and look forward to having you back on the show soon. We have been joined by Eric Harris, Director of Public Policy of Disability Rights California, one of the organizations that is sponsoring AB 2632, and Graham Finocio, who facilitates healing circles with Initiate Justice and who spent approximately eight years in solitary confinement. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about our topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. That's D-I-S. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at Law and Disorder at KPFA. You can KPFA. also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>